Thank you, Gordon, for filling in for John uh, today. Thank you, Howard, for reading our text. Let's turn back there to Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. This is Memorial Day, or weekend, originally called Decoration Day. I know some of you are headed to cemeteries even uh, this afternoon or tomorrow uh, to decorate. We uh, commemorate those uh, service people who have actually died in the service of their country and military service, uh, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard. Let me ask you, how many uh, Army veterans are here today and men or women? How about uh, Navy? More you guys like water, huh? Okay. Air Force veterans, one, one, two, one. Uh, Marines, Milmer's not here to hold his hand up, Julie. You can hold yours up for him. Coast Guard veterans? All right. And, uh, of course, Memorial Day being the day when uh, uh, people gave their lives in those branches of service, but uh, to all of our military people, we're thankful. As a matter of fact, I was thinking my own family and uh, grandfather, father, and so forth. My grandfather, World War I veteran, father, World War II as a matter of fact, my great-grandfather would have been Civil War era. It's hard, I'm thinking about this, that was 150 years ago, would have been in 1867, the Civil War would have still been going on. My great-grandfather could have been in that war. It's amazing that two people who crossed paths could know 150 years of history. Uh, and my grandfather in 1917 would have been in France as a machine gunner and uh, getting his Purple Heart in that terrible war. Uh, 67, though I didn't get to serve uh, my generation, the Vietnam War, uh, and friends and family that were there. And now, uh, 2017, our kids from the Gulf War to Afghanistan to uh, uh, even the War on Terror and so forth is their war uh, today. So uh, we're thankful for those kinds of things. Um, I uh, celebrated yesterday by burning the bacon. <laughs> you know, I, I get up early and I fix breakfast, so... I am up early, and uh, I put the bacon on, turn the skillet on. And then I thought, I need to have the flag out. So I go to the garage. I get the flag. I bring it in. I'm repairing it a little bit, retying it, everything. And I take it outside. You know, the, it's just dawn now. And I get it all set and tie it up. And I'm looking at the flag, and it looks really nice. And so I come back in the front door, and I smell these billows of smoke going on. <laughs> So I did a burnt offering for uh, the for Flag Day or Memorial Day, uh, as the house was full of burnt bacon. Now that'll wake her up, I thought. If anything will. <laughs> um, but we're going to continue our uh, messages in First Samuel on the life of Hannah, and then Samuel. Meaning no disrespect, of course, to our veterans and all. As a matter of fact. The reason, one of the reasons I thought of continuing on is because living a Christian life, being a Christian, is the best thing you can do for your country. Christians are the best citizens of any country in the world. Whether they live in freedom uh, or not, they are the best citizens. Uh, they would be law keepers. They would love their neighbor. Uh, they would do things uh, that are right, not are, uh, that are wrong. And 
always, uh, we are patriotic whenever we can give unto Caesar the things that are Caesar and, and unto God the things that are God's. And uh, praise the Lord, we've been able to do that in our country. I was thinking of a historical example of it. You might know the name Oliver Cromwell, who in the 1600s uh, was the Lord Protector in a civil war that they had in England when uh, people that wanted religious liberty didn't have it. And uh, during this time, Cromwell had become converted by Puritans and become a believer. And then he became uh, the uh, uh, leader of that movement and uh, the Lord Protector in England. And during that time, because it was for the freedom to worship and the rest, many Baptists went and joined uh, Cromwell's army and served in the army gladly as patriots uh, so that they could have more freedom to worship uh, themselves. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the Baptists in Scotland today are there largely because the soldiers in Cromwell's army served in Scotland and then went back to the Scotland after the war and started Baptist churches. Uh, I think a lot of our uh, churches that were started on mission fields, especially in the Orient, in Japan, the Philippines, and the rest, were started by veterans who were served in the war there and then went back to those fields afterwards because they had a burden for them. Matter of fact, Phyllis and Dick Robart met uh, back in Japan because of that kind of service. So, uh, really, uh, we can be blessed because of these things. There, there's a downside to the story, by the way. Of one, of one of the people that you know that served in Cromwell's army was named John Bunyan. And uh, yet Cromwell died two years. He died in 58, and the war ended in 60, 16, 58 and 60. And uh, Cromwell was considered uh, a, a radical because he actually was a Christian and thought we ought to have freedoms and things like that. When he died, they, they buried him in Westminster Cathedral. But when the war was over, King James's grandson, Charles II, came to power and uh, hated Cromwell so much that he had him dug up two years after his death, his body hanged and then beheaded and buried somewhere else. So that's what they thought of that. And then in 1660 is when, is when uh, Bunyan was put in jail. Uh, for preaching the gospel. So there's been a great price paid too for diff by different people throughout the years for freedoms that we enjoy and we're glad for it. Today's text in these verses uh, 19 through 23 as Howard read them to us it pictures godly believers even in that age, more than 1,000 B.C., 1,100 and something probably B.C., when these people lived, and they were a blessing to the country that they lived in because of the life that they lived. And for us right now, the best thing we can do, and good for any generation, is to live a life that uh, God gives us an example of here. And so in your bulletin, I have a few th thoughts that uh, kind of lead you uh, where I'm going so you can see that. A believer's life, first of all, as we see the life of Elkanah and Hannah and then the birth of Samuel and then some decisions that they had to make. I think we can learn good lessons from these things. A believer's life. We are the salt of the earth, aren't we? And the light of the world. 
Jesus said that specifically of Israel, but uh, all believers uh, are that way. And as I've said, we live in an unsavory and dark world, and they need salt and light. Um, we have the deposit of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And the Holy Spirit is the restrainer in this age of grace to hold back the the uh, immorality and sin and error that is in this world. And how does the Holy Spirit do that? By indwelling believers who live in every country and in every age uh, of this age of grace. And so uh, that's who we are. And if we will live like that, like a believer should, uh, we will do the greatest service for our country, our community, and, and our lifetime. I want you to notice a couple things. Of that believer's life, first of all, a life of devotion that we see in Elkanah and, and uh, Hannah, and secondly, a life of blessing as God did answer the prayer and bless them. So uh, notice uh, these three things first about a life of devotion. First of all, and, and we're back in verse 19, it says, they rose up early in the mor uh, early and worshiped before the Lord. Now, first of all, they did it together. And even though they've had their troubles, and even though there's been some conflict within the family, and even though Elkanah had to, to, to kind of chide Hannah at one point anyway, now the feast days are coming to an end. They've been there a week, maybe more than that, and they are still worshiping together. There's, there's nothing like a family worshiping together, overcoming whatever difficulties, whatever hardships they've had to live through and coming to the place where they're worshiping together. And that is a beautiful picture of what's happening here in this family. As a matter of fact, at the end of verse 21, uh, we, we have an expression about Elkanah that it was his vow also. We know the vow of Hannah, that if you will give me a son, I will give him back to you. Elkanah had to agree. Remember, a husband had to agree with the wife or the vow was negated, but he evidently agreed with her, and so it was their vow together, and now they are worshiping together. That's uh, a beautiful testimony. And secondly, they did it early in the morning. <laughs> I like that, and if you're a morning person, uh, you like that too, but maybe you're a night person where you read your Bible and pray in, at, at night. Either way, it's kind of a lonely house, whether you're the early bird or the night owl. Uh, but they, they worship together early. But what I think is unique about this is that they are now heading back home to Ramah. They're going to have to make this journey on foot uh, with uh, the whole family, and, and there are little kids uh, from Penina, and her children and all. So it's a long journey. It's a hard journey. And they have been there worshiping every day for a week. It's kind of like if I said, folks, we're going to have special meetings at our church this week. We're going to have meetings in the morning, stay for lunch, and then we're going to have meetings every night. Everyone has to come, bring your kids, and we're going to do that every day for seven days, maybe 14 days. Who knows? Maybe 21 days. And then when we get all done and we're done with the meetings, I tell you, I want you up tomorrow morning about 5 a.m., <laughs> To, to have your devotions before the Lord. And you're thinking, man, I just got to, I was in church every day, you know, for two weeks. Well, they've been there every day. And they've been doing their sacrificing. And they've been doing their worshiping. But before they start out on this long journey, guess what they do? They get up one more morning. Probably a morning that was not required by the feast day. They get up and worship together and then go about their journey. 
So we see a unique picture into the life of these believers as they do this, uh, this one more morning, because these kinds of things were important to them. And then thirdly, they do this to the Lord, of course. It's not a worship that's about them. It's not about themselves. This is about the Lord. And when we see the word Lord in capital letters, we know it's Yahweh or Jehovah, which is Israel's God, at least God showing himself to Israel. As a matter of fact, often this is an expression of Jesus Christ himself in the Old Testament. Or I might say this is biblical religion. The biblical religion is to worship God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are coming to the Lord, not a false god, not themselves, not just the temple, not just the Eli. They are doing these things before the Lord. That sometimes can escape us. We can come to church just because we have to be at church. We can do things just to be seen of others. We can go through our worship, and it's all about us but it needs to be to the Lord. So these three things, I think, are important here in this life of devotion. But one more thought, of course, before we leave this, and uh, this is seen at the end of verse 19, and that is that the Lord remembered her. We shouldn't pass over that statement lightly. And, of course, it's not that God forgets. <laughs> It's not that uh, he, has a, he has a memory problem, that after a few days he can't remember what she asked and what he promised, but the Lord remembered her. This is an expression in the Old Testament of providential care. Genesis 8.1, Noah is on the ark, the real Noah, he's on the ark, and, he, and the water is moving the boat back and forth. And Genesis 8.1 says, And God remembered Noah. Remembered him. Not that he had forgotten that there was an ark and forgotten that, that Noah was out there. I'm going to providentially take care of Noah. I put him in this situation. I ask him to do these things. Now I'm going to take care of him. Similar expression in Genesis 19 about Abraham. And it says, It came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow because Abraham had said, Will you not destroy the city for these people? So God remembered what Abraham had asked and he did the right thing. So we don't take this expression lightly when it says he remembered Hannah. And always remember that your requests before the Lord never go unremembered. It's God will answer the way he needs to answer, and he will answer in the best way for you. Uh, but he always hears your prayer, always remembers what you've asked. And when he has determined to do something for you, he will do it. So he remembered them. I think it's a great thing to think about that Hannah is going to give birth then, because of God's promise, to Samuel, who will be the greatest statesman in the history of Israel. That he is the greatest. He will be greater than all the prophets, greater than all the kings. He is a great statesman. And it's because Samuel will be such a man that David will be such a man. They will have this influence over David and anoint him king. As a matter of fact, if you were in, on our 
Old Testament Bible reading schedule last night. In 2 Samuel 23, I'm going to read a couple verses. Turn there if you, if you can quickly. 2 Samuel 23, at the end of the books of Samuel, we have then David coming to the end of his life, and uh, we have this great expression. This is three generations from Hannah is what I'm saying. Three generations down the road, because God remembers Hannah and because Hannah had asked of God, these are the things that happened. Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, and the man who was raised up on high, number one, the anointed of the God of Jacob, number two, and the sweet psalmist of Israel, number three, the spirit of the Lord spake by me and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me. He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth, because he'll praise God then too. Even a morning without clouds as the tender grass springing out of the earth by a clear shining after rain. So this is David's testimony. These are David's words. And why was there such a man like this? Because there was a woman like Hannah who said, if you'll do this for me, I will surely serve you in this way. And God said, I'll remember that and I'll bless you. And far beyond Hannah's life was a man like David, Samuel, then David, a great blessing to Israel. And so here is a life of devotion in verses 19 and verse 21 where we see uh, that uh, Elkanah also uh, went up yearly and offered his sacrifice. In other words, even after they left the temple, Elkanah was a, was a man of God. He went up when he was required to go up. He went up to the feast days. It wasn't an easy journey, but he went, he worshiped the Lord that way. But I want you to consider secondly about the believer's life that that we see here a life of blessing in verse 20, of course, because here is where the child is given. So verse 20 says, Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about uh, after Hannah, had conceived that she bare a son. This was God's promise. And called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. So here is a life of blessing. And by the way, let me remind you, you have a life of blessing from God. <laughs> you may be in the midst of a huge trial. You may have uh, physical uh, trials. You may have financial trials. You may have all kinds of, of trials at work or whatever, or maybe in your neighborhood. I don't know. But you are blessed of God in ways that, that you will only know in eternity. And thank God for these things. I, uh, we watched last night a, a video on the life of Fanny Crosby because we've been w reviewing these tapes for our summer series, you know, on, on uh, hymn writers. And she wasn't born blind, but because of a doctor's mishandling of her, she was made blind as a child and could never see again. It was irreversible. And yet, being blind all of her life, she wrote over 10,000 poems and songs that still dominate our songbooks. And she said at the end of her life, she lived to be 95, she said at the end of her life, I am glad for blindness. Because if I had not been blind, I would never have been able to accomplish what I accomplished in my life. 
because I trusted in the Lord, I used my ability for his sake, I wanted to praise God with my life. So we are blessed of God in many ways, and we need to understand that. Let me say a couple things then about verse 20. Uh, she conceived and bare a son. Now this is not, of course, a virgin birth, of which there was only one, and that was Jesus, uh, who was born of the Virgin Mary. But this was a birth like Isaac when Abraham and Sarah were old, a birth uh, like John uh, the Baptist when Elizabeth was old, but God said, you're going to have a child. It's God using natural means in an unnatural way. Uh, that's what God can do. It uh, doesn't have to be a miracle like a virgin birth, but God can work your situation out to bless you in these kinds of ways. Of course, it says here that uh, Elkanah knew uh, his wife and she conceived, so all of this was by natural means, and yet God uses the natural means in our lives. Sometimes it's doctors and hospitals and praise the Lord for them and for what can be done these days. But God can bring about what he has promised in ways that uh, are shocking even to us when we see God work in these kinds of things. And then, secondly, she called his name Samuel. And if you have a, a reference Bible, you know, with, with little notes in the margin or at the bottom of the page, you probably have a note about the name Samuel, and you have uh, then a note that says, this means ask of God, or perhaps you have God hears, same kind of thing. Ask of God, God hears. And so here is Hannah naming the child in a way that would be a lifetime testimony to what God has done for her and how she asked of God and God uh, answered that prayer and gave her uh, uh, what was on her heart. And so she says, I'm going to name him Samuel so that everybody that says his name is reminded of what happened uh, to me. Remember that Children are a heritage of the Lord, the psalmist said in Psalm 127, a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Children are our stewardship. They're given to us to raise. They're given to us as God's, as God's kids, and we're in care of them, and we're to raise them this way. And that is what she is doing from the very beginning. And, of course, we see her in a minute. She's going to, to say, I'm going to keep him for a while and make sure he's ready for this service. That's okay, too. She's taking care of her child as she's supposed to. Now, thirdly, remember when God... When we ask, excuse me, God hears. And of course, when that happens, we should give thanks. There's an expression in Psalm 116 that David said. He said, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. That's a thankful heart. That's the kind of heart that we should have. You know, uh, I was reading and in, uh, in one writer was pointing out that there was an old Jewish tradition written in their uh, non-inspired laws that in these days, because everyone became familiar with the promise made to Hannah and that she named him after that promise, named him Samuel, that many mothers in Israel were naming their children Samuel <laughs> because of this. And yet the writer said that yet when the children grew up and began to depart from the Lord, mothers would say, that's not Samuel. That's not Samuel. 
we need to pour ourselves into our children and pray that uh, they will remain faithful to that training that we give them in their young days. So these kinds of things produce God-fearing children. When we ask, we receive, we give thanks, and they serve the Lord. Number two, secondly, in our, in our text here, and the second thing that I wanted to point out this morning in these last two verses, 22 and 23, is about decisions that had to be made. I call them believers' decisions. You know, someone said we spend 50% of our lives trying to make right decisions, and we spend the other 50% trying to make decisions right. Uh, we make them. We have to make them all our lives. Sometimes uh, we realize that was a good decision. Sometimes that was not a good decision. But decisions change lives. And the more we can understand decision-making in the Word of God and understand how to make wise decisions, it helps us. And here's a little bit of information that helps us. Obviously, the most important decision you'll make in your life is to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And look how it's changed your life. Look where you, you know, consider where you could have been, where you might have been had you not been saved. Uh, the person that you choose as a life's mate is going to change your life. Your life is not going to go in the same direction it would have gone. Uh, the profession that you choose in life, how, where you're going to work and where you're going to go for that job and all of these kinds of things, down to the smallest decisions about uh, whether to burn the bacon or not for breakfast. You know, I, I, We make decisions all the time, and they always have a life-changing value to us. But I'm going to put uh, these two verses in these two categories. Number one, there are practical decisions that we just have to make because we live. <laughs> we have to make these things because we've got to do something today or tomorrow. And then there are those decisions that come out of our spiritual conviction, too, that we must do this way. Practical decisions, you know, might be, what color you're going to paint your house, <laughs> or even if you're going to buy a house, what car you're going to buy. Uh, some people buy blue car and put eyelashes on them, you know, but if that's the decision you want to make, okay. Uh, you know, you'll make decisions like that that, you know, maybe you, you didn't pray about that. Maybe you didn't pray about whether to buy this couch or that couch in your house. These are practical decisions, but some of them can can uh, uh, affect us for the rest of our life, especially financial decisions and personnel decisions and that kind of thing. Also, there are small decisions about what to do on Memorial Day, you know, where it will take you. Uh, I, I uh, pastored in Colorado, you know, for, for 18 years, and I learned very early, I don't, uh, I, I have no comment about guys who go hunting for two or three weeks in the mountains and miss church for two or three weeks. <laughs> That's their business, not mine. I mean, you know, uh, where you go on your vacation, when you have to miss. If you wake up in the morning and decide, I'm too sick to go to church, I can't come today, I don't sit around and sweat about it, folks. I just want you to know. So there are some practical decisions you have to make, uh, and uh, they may affect you, they may not. And so what we see happening in verse 22, I think, is, is, is something like that. Hannah went not up. In the verse previous, Elkanah did, and as the male of the house, he's required to. At three of the major feasts out of the year, he's required to, but she's not required to. So she went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned. Then I will bring him 
that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. Of course, that was part of her vow that we've already seen. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus 12, there's a long passage about this. We see the same thing happening in Luke 2.22 uh, where Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple. At this, after 30 days uh, after her uh, delivery, the male children are supposed to be brought to the temple, and that's at the time when uh, they uh, make an offering and buy the child back, as we've already talked about. And, of course, it's already been decided that she's not going to buy the child back. She's going to live him, leave him at the temple. Well, that decision's already been made. And maybe there were circumstances around it, like the fact that how is... 80-year-old Eli and his two profligate sons going to take care of my baby. <laughs> I'm going to leave this child with him. And evidently there was kind of a, there, there were people, of course, taking care of the, of the tabernacle, not the temple yet, but the tabernacle. But these guys were in charge, and uh, that was one negative. On the other hand, uh, what does a baby do? A baby needs a mother. A baby needs to be weaned. A baby needs to be changed. A baby needs a lot of things uh, in these early years. And by the way, it was most common, and most commentators agree, it was about three years of, uh, three years of age uh, that this happened. As a matter of fact, there's an interesting passage in 2 Chronicles 31.16. You can look it up later if you want, but 2 Chronicles 31.16 and 17, where it's talking about the, the people who are going to serve in the temple. It says, it's kind of confusing to hear, but I'll explain it in a minute. Beside their genealogy of males, from three years old and upward, even until everyone that entereth into the house of the Lord, his daily portion for their service in their charges according to their courses, both to the genealogy of the priests by the house of their fathers and the Levites from 20 years old and upward in their charges and their courses. Here's what it's saying. That, the, that when these male children were brought to the temple and bought back, it was also decided how they were going to serve God. But specifically, the Levites had to apply service in the temple. That, that was their service to God. And so at three years old a decision was made what their course was going to be. And then from 20 years old to 50 years old, they served that course. So it seems, that it's saying to me, that at, at three years old, uh, the little boy's fate will be decided, and he will serve this way. Well, Hannah has already decided that. This has already been settled with God. We already know what his fate's going to be. And not just from 20 years old to 50, all of his life. So whenever she goes, she's leaving him, and that has already been settled. So here you have a mother deciding, I have time here till three years old. I could take him sooner, but that's too soon. And obviously he can't do anything profitable until three years old, and I'm not sure what he does between three and five either, but he, you know, she's going to make a little tunic for him that he wears around and a little ephod, you know, and he's going to serve in the temple. So she decides to make this decision and does it, I think, on her own, perfectly legal within the law of Moses, and Elkanah says, yeah, if that's what you choose to do, fine, you stay here, 
and uh, you keep the child until you think it's time that we take him, and then we will. I call that kind of a practical decision. Matthew Henry, I, I still love to read old Matthew Henry. He said, we ought to take care of our children, not only with an eye to the law of nature, as they are ours, but with an eye to the covenant of grace, being his, the theologian that he was, as they are given to God. This sanctifies the nursing of them when it is done unto the Lord. Taking care of your children, raising them right, doing the right thing in the right way. This is right before God, and it's a practical decision sometimes in your life that you have to make. So how should we make it? Number one, home and safety. You don't put your kids at risk, do you? You, you, you put a seatbelt around them in your car now, don't you? You lock the doors at night. Uh, you take care of them in ways like that. You decide about their education. When do they start to learn? When should they read? When should they do this? Community and culture, uh, what should they be involved in, what uh, not? And what about their friends? I, I recall that you know our daughter, Rachel, who now uh, has her own family, lives in Atlanta, that uh, she grew up with a group of girls, some in our church, some in the Christian school that she went to, that uh, her mom and I decided were not a good influence on her. Imagine, there are kids like that, not a good influence on your kids. But, but we felt like also that Rachel, at the age that she was at, was not mature enough to make the decision about when to be with these kids and, and do what they're doing. So we simply made a rule that uh, with these friends right here, you can never be with them without at least three people being there. It has to not be just you and her, but someone else as well and maybe more. And she followed that rule, as far as we know anyway. She followed that rule, and it worked out well. And today, little Rachel has equivalent to a Ph.D. in early childhood training and is teaching special children in a public school in uh, Atlanta. So I guess the rule works some, to some degree anyway. Now she's trying to teach other kids the same kind of thing. Well, these are practical decisions. You don't find that chapter and verse in the Bible that, that you have to do this. Sometimes as parents and as, as instructors, we just have to use the best wisdom that we have and do the best we can and then make it work. I think that's what Hannah is doing here, all right? One last thing. There are also then those, de the, those decisions that we must make out of our conviction. And so notice verse 23, Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Do what seemeth good. Okay, that's good enough. Tarry thou till I have weaned him. Only, I like that word only, only the Lord establish his word. We will keep our commitment to God. Do what you need to do right now in the, in the moments that you have to in taking care of your children. But this vow that we made will be kept. So remember that and remember that whether it's at three years old or when you come, uh, Hannah, we're going to do what we vowed to do. Now, I think we see uh, Elkanah here in a more settled situation than he had been earlier uh, but here, when he says only do this, he's saying God's uh, instruction to us are above every other kind of decision. We don't have a choice about this decision. 
Train up a child in the way he shall go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. And we're going to do what the Lord wants. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And parents, uh, don't grieve your children to anger. And so he decides to do this. Now, families and marriages are best off when they put God first, are they not? We have a lot of things that we like, that we would like to do, but there are some things that God asks us that we should do. Let, let, me, let me give you four, and the list could be much more, uh, but I think f uh, four categories. One is the priority of God's house. If we're to be in God's house and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, we need to train our children that way. That doesn't mean that you're never going to miss. That doesn't mean that there aren't extenuating circumstances that come up. But God's house takes priority over other organizations and over other things in a child's life. That must be that way. I, I don't know how many times I've told you the story of our boys just love sports, and, but the, the sports that they were involved in in Fort Collins in the city uh, played on Wednesday night and played on Sunday. And I remember uh, going to the coach and Matthew was very good in his little league baseball. And I just said, uh, you know that I'm a pastor of a church and Matthew has to be with me. And so at a quarter till seven, we're leaving. <laughs> and if you want to play him, play him early. <laughs> because, because at a quarter till seven, he's going with me. And the coach, you know, the coach said, okay, no problem. He knew about that. He played him early. I took him at seven. We went to church. And he didn't do so bad with, with that kind of training. Uh, he may have cried the first time, but that was about it. And then he saw that wasn't going to work. But how, however it is, the priority of God's house needs to be there. Secondly, modesty. And of course, this is a struggle with our girls. Uh, we raised two daughters as well. And it will always be a struggle in the culture and the time in which we live. But teach our kids, boys and girls, to be modest. Because this is a place in life that Satan will grab them and pull them down and destroy them. Teach modesty and insist upon it. Thirdly, Bible and prayer time. Is the Bible, uh, is prayer, are these things priorities with these children? They can read the Bible. They can pray. And you may have to do it with them in those early years. Then do it. Commit yourself to that time. But Bible and prayer being priorities in a child's life is something that will stay with them the rest of their time. And then fourthly, I would say friends. Because one of the reasons why you come into God's family is that you have brethren. The brotherhood are people that help you and watch out for you and protect you and you them and serve and pray for one another. And so the friends that a, a young person has uh, begins to teach them uh, how to walk with God and how not to walk with God. So convicted decisions uh, that we see even them making here are very important also. We need to make them. The United States of America needs Christian families. Uh, this country needs Christian families more than ever before. It needs us as influence uh, in this uh, world. And the Bible is full of examples for us. And this is one example uh, of a few things 
of, of the life of this, this wonderful couple and this little boy. Uh, and next week, by the way, we'll see uh, that time when she had to drop him off at the temple. We'll, uh, you know, we'll kind of deal with that next week. And, and so if this is Memorial Day, I like, it, it happens to be in chapter 7 and verse 12 of this very book where we have that old word Ebenezer. That was Samuel's memorial. That was his memorial day. When he set up a stone and said, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped me, or by his help I'm come, as we sing in the song. And so that's my memorial. God is my helper. God is my rock. And that's the way I will come. That would be a great memorial for us and for our children. Stand now with me, if you will, as we... We'll stand and we'll bow our heads in a moment and we'll sing a song and think about these things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his help with what we've heard this morning. Father, uh, we come before you with all kinds of thoughts uh, in, our, in our hearts. And Father, uh, you know us as parents, as grandparents, great-grandparents, you know, Father, decisions that we've made through our lives, good ones and bad ones. Father, successes that we've had and failures. And Father, we know your grace is abundant to us. And we just ask, Father, that you would continue to remember us and to fulfill your word in us. And then, Father, help us both with instruction to our children and grandchildren, but these ones that are growing up in this world where Satan would like to sift them as wheat. Help us, Father, all to be wise. Help us to be helpful, loving, fellowshipping, encouraging, and help us, Father, to help one another. Now, Father, may your church be a blessing in this country in which we live and in every place where your people dwell and where people meet together. May we be truly salt and light in this, in this world in which we live. We ask your blessing on our country. We need it. And, of course, you see uh, the, the level to which we have sunk in, in uh, this country. So, Father, help us. Use us. Be the, the uh, deposit of the Holy Spirit in this world to, to defray the sin of this world. And so, Father, bless us now as we think about these things, as we sing a song, as we apply these things to our hearts. Speak to us in the way only you can. Move us in the way that we should be moved. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing a song, our invitation is open as Gordon comes and leads. I'm here at the front. If you know you need to come even as we sing, uh, then meet me at the front. And the invitation is also open at the close of our service, too. You do what God wants you to do. Gordon, thank you.